Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 3rd, 2023, we begin our Advent series with a sermon titled Hold Fast by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Enjoy. So we're in Hebrews chapter 4. If you haven't flipped there yet, you can. Uh, But they always tell you it's always good to know your audience before you get up and communicate. So we're going to do a little audience participation here, okay? You can vote vote by uh, cheering or booing. Please don't throw anything. Raise your hand, this or that. But I'm going to throw some things up on the screen. You decide which one are you. You're one or the other. You got to pick a side. So we'll start benign, and yet I found out at 9 o'clock, maybe not as benign as I anticipated. Here's your first choice iPhone or Android? How many of you, where are, my, where are my Android people at? Yeah. Where are, my, where are my pretentious, booing already iPhone people, right? Okay. Any of you iPhoneers get a text from somebody and it's in green and you're like, ugh, one of those, right? I get it, I get it. All right, how about this one? In and out Chick-fil-A. Okay, you can only pick one. Where are my uh, overpriced chicken and sweet tea eaters and drinkers in here, okay? How many of you can't wait to get to heaven where we eat in and out every day, all day, forever? Yes, all right, there we go. Let's continue on. Here we go, next one. Issue U of A, huh? Any families divided? Any punches thrown? If you're here, it's because you got out of Tucson like the rest of U of A, which is a benefit. How about this one? Uh, Live golf or PGA? This split up my family pretty quick. Anybody uh, for or against? No? All right, next one. Target or Walmart? Okay, I'm just, for my own marriage sake. Any of you in the parking lot of Walmart knowing you need to get something and you will drive to find a Target somewhere because you hate Walmart that much? That's where my wife lives, in the land of anything but Walmart, okay? Two more. This one inside the church world was a big deal a long time ago, maybe not now. How many of you guys are praise music? And how many of you miss the hymns? Oh, a little, little close to home. All right, last one. Don't vote, just know. Okay? Guys, look, here's the reality. I could split this room up into little factions real quick if I hit the right buttons because as Brendan shared with me earlier this week, Our culture is discipling us on division. We are in a a culture that is discipling us to divide. Sociologists are calling it tribalism, where we identify our tribes, and we get with people that think the way we think, and instead of looking at the rest of the world and going, I wonder what their thoughts are. No, that is the enemy. They disagree with us, so therefore it's us against them. Families are splitting, relationships are splitting, and you guys see it out there. Everything you watch, everything you listen to, everything you hear is strong opinions meant to say, if you're for me, you're for me. If you're against me, you're against us. Get over there, and we're dividing. And so then we come to a season like Christmas, and they go, hey, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to worship, and we're going to sing songs about the Prince of Peace. We're going to sing songs about Jesus Christ, who his final prayer here on earth with his guys was what? Father, I pray that they may be one, as you and I are one, that they, all who would believe in me, would be one. And in their unity, in their oneness, would actually 
Be so powerful that the world would know that you sent me. Go read John 17. Jesus' prayer for us as sons and daughters of God is that we would be one. So what can we be one about? We can't even unite around the iPhone or the Android in our pocket or where we're gonna go to lunch. So what do we unite around? Well, I think we unite around the gospel. And until the gospel becomes the truly good news, we gotta understand the dark state at which we are all in without Jesus. This coming of the king, these songs that we sing about, this celebration of Christmas, it's all great, but it's only great if you realize how desperately in need of a savior we really are. And so we're gonna look at verse 14 of Hebrews chapter four today, but before we get there, I wanna read to you Hebrews chapter four, verse 13. This one does not make a lot of coffee mugs. There's no cute Hobby Lobby signs with Hebrews 4:13 painted on it. Because it's the bad news. It's the bad news that it's the thing that unites all of us together. Every human being, every person that's ever breathed air on this planet short of Jesus sits in this state. Here's what Hebrews 4, verse 13 says. It says, and no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Every creature naked and exposed before God Almighty, and it's to him whom we must give an account. That's the reality. That's what unites every one of us together. If you are iPhone, Android, going to give an account. Republican, Democrat, you're going to give an account. Love Jesus or hate Jesus, we are all going to be naked and exposed before our Father within whom we must give an account. That's what unites us all. And if that's the state we were in, man, we are all in desperate need of a savior. And the only thing that divides some of us in this room at this point are those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and all of a sudden are clothed by the blood of the lamb instead of continuing to lay naked and exposed before God Almighty. But that comes down to what you do with Jesus. And so that's our question today. Before I even pray and we get into the word, The question is this, where does your hope lie? What are you holding on to for hope, for peace, for understanding? What is it that you cling so tightly to? Because the world's selling us a lot of stuff. But I can tell you this, true hope, true peace comes in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And 100 years from now, who wins the election in November? How much money you have in your bank account? how awesome your marriage is, none of that is going to matter as much as what did you do with Jesus Christ. That's it. Where does your hope lie and what are you holding on to for hope and peace in this life? I think the author of Hebrews and where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning is going to fix our eyes on what the Bible is going to call our great high priest. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this and see what God's up to as we we look to his words. Would you pray with me? God, in the midst of a season like this, where everything is so busy and everything is so distracting, God, I pray that for a moment we'd be able to slow down and to fix our eyes on you. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit would move in the lives and the hearts of your kids. God, certainly here in this room, myself included, 
God, even later today, as we have an opportunity just to be quiet before you, God, that you would stir whatever you need to stir in our hearts. God, allow, allow us to let go of things we need to let go of so that we can hold on to you with everything that we have. So God, meet us in this place. I pray that you would speak through your word. God, I pray you continue to encourage our hearts, not only as we look forward to our time with you in eternity, but God, as we get to walk with you every moment of every day here and now. So God, meet us in this place. Do what only you can do, and that's be at work in our lives and our hearts. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we're in Hebrews 4, 14. Let me read you the bad news one more time. Verse 13, set it up, says, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all of us are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That should cause our stomachs to turn a little bit. Certainly, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that should cause you to go, wow, that sounds dark and heavy. But then we get to verse 14. Because that's the reality, because we must give an account, naked and exposed before God, and we have nothing to bring but our sinful selves, we have this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold fast to our confession. Let me pull this apart. Since then, since what? Well, since, since the reality is we are all drowning without Jesus, let's be grateful that we have this great high priest. High priest is a, is a, 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 uh, it's a position inside of the church of Israel that, that we have no real correlation to. I mean, I, you know, I'm not even going to say the thing I was going to try because I was told not to. But the closest thing for them was, uh, for us, I need you to wrap your mind around this. The high priest was the one who, who basically oversaw the moral and religious um, yeah, following of the covenant for the whole nation of Israel. That was his job, to make sure the nation of Israel followed the covenant. He would oversee all the priests in the temple that were offering sacrifices, but he was the one who would make sure that the people of Israel were walking in step with the law of the Lord. And then once a year, he had this job where he would walk into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation of Israel. Not for the individuals, but the nation as a whole. And so he would have to wash himself and then he had to put on the holy linens and then he would sacrifice a bull for his own sins because you don't dare walk into the Holy of Holies where God dwells if there's any sin in you because you would be struck dead in an instant. So he would offer a sacrifice for himself and then he would lead two goats into the Holy of Holies through what the, the scriptures would describe as a veil. He'd walk through this curtain into a room that only got entered once a year by a human being. The rest of the time it was just where God was. And then he would sacrifice a goat, sprinkle its blood on the mercy seat and the other goat, he would lay his hand on its head, confess the sins of Israel and then they would release it. You can read about this in Leviticus 16 if you want. It was called the Day of Atonement. It was the high priest's job to atone for the sins of Israel, but he had to clean himself first, and he only got to do that once a year. The author of Hebrews says, look, we don't have a high priest that's got to go through all of this and then walk through some veil. No, we have a great high priest who has not just walked through the veil into the presence of God here on earth. No, we have one that has actually passed through the heavens and is now seated at the right hand of God. If you read Ephesians 1, if you know 1 John 2, it talks about this idea of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, advocating, praying for, caring for you and me. That's our great high priest. 
If you know towards the end of Gospel of Luke, we're going to get to it. Jesus is going to breathe his last on the cross and say, into my hands I commit my spirit. And the moment he breathes his last, what happens? Great earthquake. And what happens to that veil inside the temple? <laughs> Torn in two. Because all of a sudden, what was the barrier between mankind and God is ripped because of Jesus Christ. This is the great high priest that the author of Hebrews talks about. That's what we have, naked and exposed in our sinfulness, but no longer do we sit here in our sinfulness. If we know Jesus, all of a sudden we are covered by our great high priest. So as we sit there in our shame, unable to look at a perfect God, you just feel a hand on your shoulder, Jesus Christ saying, but you're one of mine. And he covers us. That's the good news of the gospel. Is that what we're holding on to? Because that's the charge given to us. Because we have this great high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who we will celebrate coming at Christmas, what are we asked to do? We're asked to hold fast to our confession, to hold on to it with everything that we've got. Here's the example I have for you. I'll set it up this way. Uh, I, have a, I had a buddy. We went to high school together, and then he went off to school in California. I went to... California for college, and I remember connecting with him once, and I go, man, what do you do out here? He goes, oh, I'm a lifeguard. Oh, sounds about right. What do you do as a lifeguard? You sit up there, you run in slow motion, you get a little zinc on your nose, and like, what? Like, you're the Baywatch guy. What do you do? He goes, oh, man, it's fascinating. I'm like, okay, tell me a little bit about it. He's like, well, at first I had to go to like lifeguard school. Like, what do they teach you in lifeguard school? How to do sit-ups and put on sunscreen? Like, what is this all about? He goes, oh, no, it's fascinating. You know the, the most difficult thing that they teach you in lifeguard school? When you got somebody that's struggling out in the ocean, they're being pulled by the, by the undercurrent or they're, they're, they're unable to swim much longer and you run out to help save them. So here's what they teach you. You get to about five or six feet away from the individual and then you have to stop because they are so panicked. They are fighting so hard to keep their head above water that if you actually get any closer, they will grab you and pull you under. He said, so you have to sit there and watch these people in terror and panic and just doing everything they can to try and stay alive. And they're looking at you with such desperation in their eyes going, why are you not helping me? And meanwhile, you got this red buoy that you're holding on to and you have to wait for them to, be to, the, to exhaust themselves so much that they give up. And then you extend that red buoy to them. And he said, you would be amazed at how tightly those people grab on to that red buoy and they hold it with everything that they've got and the energy they didn't think they even had anymore they were just squeezing that thing because they're so desperate they're desperate for anything that will help save them guys that is this idea that is this picture of holding fast to our confession do we have that sort of desperate cling to Jesus Christ do we realize that every moment of every, on your very best day, the day that, man, you wake up and you pray and then you share Jesus with everybody and then you, you, know, you encourage your kids and your wife and you do everything perfect, that day you need Jesus more than anything else. And the day you do things that you hope no one in this room ever finds out about, things that you're too embarrassed even to admit audibly to the Lord, and you sit in that moment, you need Jesus just as much that day as the other day because we need Jesus at every moment all the time and we need to hold fast to him with all that we've got. Do we cling to Jesus that way? Are we holding on to Christ? Here's my question for some of you. Some of you, you're, you're like 
as my buddy described, that person that's just frantically trying to keep your head above water. And you haven't exhausted yourself yet. You're still trying to do it in your own strength, in your own power. And if I could just, if I could just. And as God is in his perfect patience, he's just sitting there waiting for you to get to the end of yourself, to that moment where you say, I can't do this anymore. And that's when he goes, I know. I've known that the whole time. That's why I'm here. I've been waiting for you to come to the end of yourself. Would you receive salvation in my son Jesus? And would you grab onto Christ with everything that you've got? I don't know where you're at in this room. My guess would be there's a lot of you, and we'll talk more about the gospel in just a second, but my guess would be there's a lot more of you that you would say, no, I've come to that place, Kevin. I put my faith in Jesus. I know Jesus Christ. I'm his kid. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. Man, praise God for that. Can we all agree, if you know Jesus in this room, you are just like me. The moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ, Satan lost the battle for my soul. Now his job is to get my eyes off of all that I have in Christ and to get him focused on anything else. And that's what he does. And so let's go back to our red buoy. Can you picture the red buoy? You know what I'm talking about? It's about this long, shiny red, usually on a rope, floats. Lifeguards pitch it out, you hold onto it, it keeps you afloat. Here's what I think happens sometimes is those of us that know Christ, we've grabbed onto that red buoy and we are holding on with everything that we've got. And then Satan in his craftiness takes a 500 pound stone and he shapes it to look exactly like that buoy and then he paints it beautifully shiny red to look exactly like that buoy but it's, it's 500 pounds and it will take you to the bottom of the ocean and he brings it out. He makes it look real good and it comes under the umbrella under the guise of things like, man, if, if I could just get a good report from the doctor, everything would be all right. If I could just make enough money, everything would be all right. If I could just find that certain somebody, that certain man or woman to come alongside and to fulfill me, then everything would be all right. If I could just get my kids to be in this position, everything would be okay. If me and my spouse were just, and we just go through this list. I met with a guy this last week. His, his, this was his. Throw this one out there and see how it goes. This was his. If his political candidate wins the election in November, his statement was, then everything will be all right. Hope will be restored to America. Things will begin to get better. You know what that is? That's a 500-pound stone painted shiny red that he is holding on to Jesus but going, but I'm going to try a little bit of that too because I think there's a lot of hope in that. I'm not saying don't have your convictions. I'm not saying don't make a stand. But what I am saying is hold fast to your confession. Is your confession Jesus Christ or is it anything else? And if it's anything else, be careful. Be careful. What has the enemy sold you? Our confession is Jesus. There is no other source. However your relationship with your spouse goes, however your relationship with your kids goes, whatever happens in November, if, if you're in that camp, there is one Prince of Peace and it's Jesus Christ. I want more than anything for my wife to love me and for me to love her with everything that I've got and for her to be like, you're the best husband ever. Three days a month, I am that. The rest of the time, <laughs> there's tension because I'm messed up, naked and exposed before God and so is she. 
And so you know what keeps us afloat? Not holding on to each other, hoping we can get it figured out. No, we both grab onto Jesus and go, I'm gonna deal with my stuff, you deal with your stuff, and let's hold on to Jesus with all that we got, and let's float together in this thing called life as we cling to him. And then by God's grace and his process, we get better as a couple, but not because we're fighting for that, we're fighting for Jesus first. All of these things are great things, but they're great second place things. Satan's great ploy in our life is to make us think they're first place things. And we let go of Jesus a little bit and we grab onto something else and we just get pulled away. Is that you? As a son or daughter of God, as you sit in this room this morning, is that you? Is there any other place where your hope and your confession has begun to lie? And do you need to take a moment? We're gonna give you that in just a second. Just between you and, and God Almighty to say, God, here it is. Here's what I've been grabbing onto. I wanna let that go today so I can just go all in with you. We have courage to do that. Thomas asked me a great question. He said, you keep talking about holding on to Jesus, holding on to Jesus, hold on to your confession. What does that look like? like practically, what does that look like for you? And so I've got a list. This is, this is my list. I don't know what it is for you. These are things that help me. These are things that help me hold on to Jesus as much as possible. Some days I do great, a lot of times I struggle. But the first thing is this, is to find that beautiful tension between understanding and realizing without Jesus, I sit naked and exposed before God Almighty. It's even, in, you know, we sing that song, Amazing Grace, who saved a wretch like me. And I gotta understand my own wretchedness. And I gotta hold on to that with this hand but then I can't wallow in pity and self-guilt and go, oh God, how could you ever love me? How could you ever love me? Kevin, you know why I could love you? Because I sent Jesus and you are my beloved son. And so in the tension of this hand, I gotta live under the grace of God and understand that he loves me because he chooses to. Not because of what I am, but because of who he is and what he chooses to do. And I gotta live in that tension and understand that though this is who I am in my flesh, this is who I am because of Jesus Christ, God's beloved son. And when I can hold those two in proper tension, I find myself somewhere in the middle, not wallowing in shame and guilt, not wallowing in, in some sort of self-righteous pride and judgment, but right in the middle. Here's the second thing. I think they've got these verses up on the screen. This is just, this is for me. You come into my office, you will see every one of these verses up on my wall. You want to talk to me, you're going to hear these come out eventually. This is just scripture that I have in my brain, in my head, that I've committed to memory because these are important verses to me. We need to know scripture. If you're a, if you're a son or daughter of God and you know Jesus, know the word of God so that when Satan comes at you and he pitches you a lie, he sells it to you in such beautiful package that you go, oh, this has got to be true. Can you hold it up against actual truth of God's word? Do you know the word of God enough to go, wait a minute, when the enemy gets in my head and convinces me that I'm worthless, that I'm a disgusting sinner that has no business doing anything for the Lord, when all of those thoughts creep in and that thumb of oppression begins to come down on me, I cannot tell you how Romans 8.1 has pulled me out of the pit so many times. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Though I am guilty and a wretched sinner, I am not condemned because of Jesus Christ then 30 verses later to be able to say, and so if God is for me, who could be against me? 
to read Ephesians 2 and to know, look, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. That's who I was. But now, verse 4, God being rich in mercy, abounding in love, raised me up and seated me at the right hand of God. That's not who I am anymore because of Jesus. Man, these are scriptures that you should have in your head. You don't have to use my list, but you should have a list. Do you know the word of God? We're still doing that, getting the word study. If you haven't signed up for it, sign up for it. Just begin to spend time in, in scripture. I know it sounds like a, a cheesy Sunday school thing. You'd be like, you want me to memorize the Bible? I don't want you to do anything. I think God gave us this book for a reason, and there's great life in it. And all I'm saying is if you can dig into it a little bit, maybe there's life to be found on the other side of that. Do you know truth? Here's the last thing. Last thing that helps me hold fast to my confession, and this has more to do relationally, because that's usually where my buttons get pushed. I got a context for a lot of ideology where I struggle is relationally. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify two different types of people. One is the individual. You know their name, you know their story, you know who they are. And it's that person in your life, and I got mine, where just when you see them, you go, oh man, give me five minutes in a dark room and it'll be the best five minutes of my whole week with that guy because you're just, oh. Something about what they've done, the injustice they've done to you, something that they've said, some way in which they believe or think, and you just go, man, I don't like that guy. Who is it for you? And then maybe, in a much broader context, maybe it's an entire mass of humanity because they think different. They hold a different political position than you. They hold a different values than you. They hold a different sexual ethics than you. Whoever those people are, and when you think about them, you just go, man, oh, let me read some passages about the Lord's wrath because that gets me fired up. No, stop for a second. Can you identify who those people are for you? Here's what I've been trying to do when I'm confronted with those emotions and those buttons get pushed and my flesh starts coming out because that's what it is. It's my flesh. I try and take a step back, take a deep breath, and even in dialogue with somebody, I will, as they're talking to me, I would just let my mind go to, God, I am naked and exposed before you. And I have absolutely nothing to bring to this party other than this naked and exposed wretched self. And in that moment, what it begins to do, at least to me in my heart, is to realize I am no better than anybody. And I desperately need Jesus every moment of every day. And when I can begin to come, the Bible calls it a, a heart of contrition, a contrite spirit. Matthew 5, 1 would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that realize I've got nothing to bring to you, God, but, but I need Jesus for everything. And as I'm thinking about that, as I'm interacting with whoever these people or this individual is, you know what it does to me? Sometimes it just begins to peel away some of that flesh that wants to come out, that aggression that wants to come out. And God, in, the, in his absolute perfect sovereignty, begins to soften my heart a little bit. And instead of reacting in the flesh, maybe now I begin to have a heart of compassion for whoever he put in front of me to put Jesus on display. And if nothing else, it gets me to the place where as they're talking and they want to dialogue about something that I got a strong opinion on that can just sucker punch them, it leaves me going, but I'm not, none of that matters. You know what matters? What do you do? What do you believe about Jesus? And how can I put Christ on display in this moment? Because guys, I'm telling you, 100 years from now, 
whichever side of the aisle you sit on politically will not matter. It won't. What you do with Jesus, that's what's going to matter for eternity. And that's all that should matter to the people that we interact with too. To put Christ on display. To help them see Jesus. But that last one, those people that push your buttons, those people even right now that maybe you've already tried to forget about them because you're just ready to throw a punch at the chair in front of you, it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of maturity to sit in that moment and go, God, would you help me die to myself so that I can be an ambassador for you, even to those people that I have a hard time with? That takes discipline, that takes maturity, that takes a process of sanctification, and that takes a daily walk with the Lord where we hold in tension both who we are in our flesh, but who we are because of Jesus Christ. Can we get there? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the last little bit. We're gonna do something that's gonna get real uncomfortable for everybody, because um, it's gonna get real quiet. We're gonna spend two minutes, two minutes just in utter silence. It might be the only two minutes of silence, some of you, if you're like me, that you've had in a long time. But we're gonna sit quietly, and you're one of two people in this room. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's all I would ask of you during this two minutes. Can you, in the quietness of your own heart, with your own walk with the Lord, just sit there and go, all right, God, here I am. Is there anything that you need to confess to the Lord? To picture yourself, even just to imagine yourself walking up to the cross and going, God, here are the things that I've been holding on to for hope or for peace or, or sinful things that bring me comfort, things that I love to hold on to that, that I just like to keep around because every now and then when I don't feel like I got everything in you, I can grab a little shot of this. And can you picture yourself just laying that down at the feet of the cross and going, God, here it all is. Would you do what only you can do? It's called the discipline of confession. We're going to give you some time just to sit, you and the Lord, to confess. Or you're the other person in this room, and you, you, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Like that person I mentioned in the ocean, you're still scrambling and swimming and doing everything you can to fix everything on your own. Maybe today's the day you realize, I can't, and I'm tired, and I'm over it. And let me tell you, today's the day that you can stop and you can just reach out and let Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that we are all going to worship and celebrate every day of every moment that you're here on this campus, but certainly as we usher in this Christmas season, God came to earth to save you. Here's the gospel in its simplest form. You and me, naked and exposed before God, we got a whole bunch of garbage we bring to that party. It's called sin. You can call it whatever you want. Bad decision, stupid thought, did something I know I shouldn't have done. The Bible calls it sin. And because of that, we are enemies of God. God's looking at us and all he sees is our sin. And we're swimming in the ocean trying to fix it on our own and you can't. But that moment that you stop and you go, God, I am a sinner. And I believe your son, Jesus Christ, died on a cross in my place. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus, not in myself. In that moment, you grab onto that buoy of faith in Jesus Christ and God takes you from naked and exposed and covered in your sin and he wipes you off and he makes you clean and he ushers you into his family. Not only to experience eternity in heaven one day, but to live life now with a different lens, a different opportunity to feel comforted and cared for here and now and to be Loved into this thing called the family of God, but that only comes through Jesus. And so if you're here and you know nothing of Christ, 
Today's your day. I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit continues to convict your heart. I want you, as you sit in just this two minutes of silence, you tell God whatever you want to tell him. There's no magic prayer. God knows your heart. Would you lay it bare before him? And will we all, for a moment today, just say, God, I'm going to hold fast to you with all that I've got, and let's see what God does in the midst of that. So I'm going to pray for us. It's going to get real quiet. And then the worship team will close us out in a time of worship. But let me pray. God, thank you for your gospel message. God, I thank you that you found me all those years ago. And God, you know my heart. You have searched it. You know it. God, you know those things that I love to grab onto that just pull me down. God, I will continue to do business with you over here in the front row. But God, would you take those things? God, would you give me the courage to let go of them? Would you give me the conviction to let go of them? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here as well. God, anyone that knows you in this room, if there is anything that you need to do in our heart and our lives and our souls, God, that you would do it. This wouldn't just be an exercise for the next two minutes, but God, this would truly be a surrendering, as your word says, God, that we would put to death the things that are earthly in us so that we can grab onto you with everything that we have. God, anyone here that you are calling into your family, I pray that they would do business with you, that you would meet them right where they are at. And then, God, you would give them the courage to put words to it to somebody else in this room today. So we love you. Thank you for this time now that we can come before you, lay it all on the line, and receive nothing but your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise be to God, because every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we bring nothing to the party but our naked, exposed, sinful self. We receive the robe of God's grace covered around us. And we're going to hear next week that our high priest, he gets it, he sympathizes with us. And then in two weeks, that we're to run to the throne of grace with confidence, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. That is what we celebrate. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that is the hope that brings a peace that surpasses all understanding when we get it, when we understand it, when God begins to reveal his truth to us. So continue with us these next couple weeks as we continue to study God's word and prepare for the celebration that we're gonna have here at Christmas. Uh, you guys all know, though, before you leave today, make sure you love somebody. Service is not over till you love somebody. I don't know what's happening right now, but there could be some Alabama fans that might need some consoling. I don't know what's gonna happen. We'll find out. If nothing else, just love each other. Be a family together. Enjoy life together before you leave. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you guys all next weekend.